0: Welcome to The Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of The Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Nick Jackal on the line. Nick, how are you?
1: I'm really good, thank you. Very
0: good. Glad to have you here. So we're going to talk transformational leadership today. And as I said in the pre-show, boy, do we need that right now. Um, More than ever. uh, There's some challenging times in the world right now with organizations and individuals and all of that. So how did you get involved in this type of work?
1: Well, I originally got involved, actually, I was originally uh, studying to be a, a doctor, a medic, and um, I wanted to be a medic of the mind, um, ended up falling into um, advertising and then innovation. So I, made, I cut my teeth in an innovation consultancy I started in the late 90s. And what we kept discovering was you can do innovation for an organization, as in you can tell them you should have this business model or this product or service But usually the problem is not having the idea, having the business model idea. It's actually leading the transformation that is required to make the innovation successful. And so over the years, we realized that the value we could add as a a business, as me as an individual practitioner, was less and less in having ideas for companies, doing innovation, but in helping their leaders go on that journey themselves and understand what it is they have to do to transform, because no leader, no consultant ever knows a company better than the leaders of that company or that organization. And if they don't own the change, the disruption, the, the shift, they can't land it. They can't make it, they can't stick it into the company. They can't get traction. Um, and that's actually a leadership problem, not an innovation problem. Although they are, obviously, for me, transformation leadership is, is partly innovation, partly leadership. It's where those two come
0: together. We see it all the time, and, and I love the consultant analogy because the greatest consultants of the world that are completely familiar with an industry or a sector they don't know all the nuances of your organization. The leader does or should. And especially if you're new to an organization, I see this mistake a lot with leaders is they come in and they just make wholesale changes before they even figured out how to work the coffee machine. And (laughs) like, let's, let's slow down a little bit. Let's, why don't you get an understanding because, and this happened to me all the time when I was a new leader in an organization is, there's a lineup of people that want to give their input on how they feel the organization should be run, who should be getting rid of, who, you know, who we should bring in, all of these kind of things. And for me, I always looked at as it, like oh, let me actually observe and just mm-hmm. kind of see, you know, kind of looking at the the petri dish, per se, and going, okay, how is this reacting and what's what's going on here? And once I did that, then I'd say, okay, in order for us to get to the mandate that the board or the leadership of the organization wanted to get, okay, what ingredients do we have that can make that happen? What do we need that we don't have right now to help make that happen? Is there anything we need to shift around here to make things better? And that's when you do it, but you have to take ownership and you have to really look at it and bringing in outside consultants. Yes, while they may be able to shed some light on things that you might not see because it's kind of a fishbowl analogy, but as a leader, you should be able to jump out of the fishbowl every once in a while and take a peek and see what the fishbowl looks like from the outside and get a better purview of it because otherwise um, you can bring in consultants all day, all night, and you won't be able to implement half of the recommendations because there's pieces that just won't line up no matter Mm -hmm. how gifted those consultants are.
1: Well, also the history of consulting, um, particularly sort of old-fashioned strategy consulting usually ends up in them not being able to see the disruption that's happening anyway, um, because they're experts in the old world, not the new world that's emerging. Um, and we found that a lot um, as, a, as a creative management consultancy, is that we didn't have the answer. We were saying to our clients, and still do, we can't give you the answer. It's you, you have to live through the answer for your own business, but we can take you on a process, which is very different from saying, look, we just spent 10 years working with three of your competitors. We've got the answer. Here it is. Um, and that doesn't ever work. And the speed of change in the market, um, is too much for anyone externally to cope with. You have to live it every day and you've got to own it and you've got to feel it. Um, and, um, actually just speaking to what you said, something, something I wrote in, 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 in my new book is you, the gone are the days where you have to be the smartest person in the room. Because in fact, you want people smarter than you. You want people who are smarter on blockchain, on AI, on generational disruption, on new forms of governance. But you do have to be the wisest person in the room. And that's really what you're being paid for, is to take wise decisions based upon data, but also based upon the fact you don't have data about the future. There's never been data about the future. Something we always forget when someone puts a nice slide up, quant quant slide. That's not about the future, that's about the past. And the rest of it is all about imagination. And that's where the wisdom comes in of, of great leadership um, is um, to feel as much as think your way into the future.
0: You know, I love that analogy of the wisdom side of things because that's too often people will go to the leader and say, well, what should we do? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I, that's why I hired you. You, you, you exactly. tell me what exactly. we should do. And if you <laughs> want me to tell you what we should do, then I'm not only doing my job, but then I'm doing your job, and why are you here if I have to do your job? Yes. So, and and hopefully it never gets to that. But occasionally you have to remind people, it's like, "No, this is this is your responsibility. You come up with something, vet it through me, I or the leader, and I'll say, mm, okay, that it's not sitting right for some reason." Because again, with wisdom, you're seeing things in a different purview than others. And you know, I interviewed. Uh, Maestro Roger Nierenberg several years ago on my show, and he was the conductor for the New York Philharmonic, and you know been a conductor all the time. Now he's a leadership consultant, and one of the things he does for organizations is he brings an orchestra into the organization. And he does a presentation, and basically he has members of the staff sit with the orchestra in an orchestra pit basically that they create and of course he's up on his podium and he gets you know all the horns and all the instruments and all of that to practice and start sounding really good and you know originally when they signed out you know sign up they sound like a you know a grade 3 orchestra band which is not good for the ears and then they finally sound like wow this is an orchestra it sounds beautiful and then he slowly brings up people up to the podium and he has the orchestra play the music again and everyone is amazed on how different it sounds, because from a leadership purview, we see things differently than people that are in the ranks. They can only see what 's right in front of them they can 't see above and beyond because they just can 't see it where a leadership rising above and having some wisdom, you can look at okay, if I do this, what does it do to that and yeah. that that 's what 's so crucial for leaders and why our roles need to be more of a leading type of situation and not a managing side of things. And I know many leaders don't want to let go of that management techniques. Like you need leave that back. You know, it's like, you can't, you, it's great. You've got the book. Don't read it again. <laughs> you know, read, read Nick's book on leadership. That's the book you need to read. So, uh, which is a great segue into your book. So, you know, what, what drove you to write the book?
1: Um, I hadn't collected all Um, the thinking and development that we run in our programs into one place. So people are always asking me, I love that bit, but we only had two days of your workshop because my company wanted that bit or this bit. So most of our clients have only ever had a little bit of the the sort of breadth of what we do as a business and what I do. And I thought, well, this is crazy. I need to get it all down somewhere. But there's also another part of it, which is um, underneath the actual leadership development work we do is a methodology. Um, and I hadn't yet put that methodology down in, its, in a full sense. So, that was, so, the, so the book is both a mixture of um, sort of practical, this is how you engage with the fast-changing, quite chaotic, complex world, and this is how you can make sense of it. Um, but underneath that, there's a lot of neuroscience, a lot of um, wisdom as well about how the tools and techniques that we teach are underpinned in the brain. So I wanted to do both things at the same time. So it ended up being a bigger book than I anticipated when I started writing it, um, but they always are. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so it's, um, it's basically a kind of a little bit of theory and a little bit of practice, which is kind of how we'd like to roll. Um, and I think a lot of leaders want to know that the tools and techniques being taught actually are underpinned by something um and they're not just a fad a management fad you know um there's some there's some biological depth to what it is that we're doing whether it's coaching or storytelling or influencing you know a lot of this stuff gets has to come back to how do human beings feel think and act and then your leadership techniques should always be about shifting people's feelings thoughts and actions that's what you're there to do right um as i say in in the blurb you know The problem with management is it was designed to maintain the status quo um, and grow it slightly. Um, Whereas in the current reality, that just doesn't work work anymore. Um, Some people still got to be doing that. It's a technical skill you need in your business. Um, But if you're a leader, you've got to be about inventing the next status quo of your industry. Um, And even those who are on the edge of disruption technologically can fall back very quickly um, by not keeping up with the,
0: the fast-changing world. And, and with this world that we're in right now, you know, Amazing. leaders uh, desperately need to figure out and lead to the next normal, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And the organizations that I think will be successful after this pandemic is behind us and we're right. into whatever the world looks like are the ones that have designed their own path sitting back and waiting for governments or suppliers or customers to say this is what we need you're going to get that you know that safe potential one or two percent growth kind of thing which doesn't move the needle at all and the organization isn't going to be innovative and growing it, when you have an organization that's constantly pushing and going okay well, what what else can we come up with what about this because mm. i had an interview the other day with somebody And they refer to this time as the Great Reset. And it's an opportunity for organizations that are looking at things. And everyone from an organization right down to the individual should take this time and reflect and go, okay, what's working well in my life? What's not? What's working well in this organization? What's not? What can we do to change that? Because there's no better time than right now to start putting momentum and innovation forward because we're all kind of in this weird... I don't want to say cruise control type of situation, but you know, depending on your industry, there are some that are just kind of like going at a very slow pace, and some are are really ramping up. You know, Zoom, for example, you know, the amount of innovations and improvements that they've had to come up with uh, over the last few months is uh, breathtaking in a way. Every time I launch the thing, I'm like, okay, what did they change now? You know, <laughs> it's like, where's the button? Why did they move it? And but you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but. Organizations that are going to be strong and agile and be able to you know withstand any potential new changes that we see in the world and how we interact with organizations is so crucial um, to take advantage of that right now and that 's where obviously the transformation that these organizations are doing is is so critical for them
1: well there's yeah lots in what you just said there's a couple of things that struck me one is that um, one of the things I tell the leaders I work with is in the old reality, maybe you did one big innovation program in your career. You know, you were at GM and you realized you had to do electric cars. So that's the whole big thing of your life's work is the, the, that reality has changed. You're going to have to land transformation over and over again. In some of it's going to be smaller adaptations like a Zoom adding a feature. Some of it's going to be like, wow, our business model just died in the last six months. We have to invent another one. And so this idea that you might do innovation maybe once or business transformation to digital once. Is a really old thinking, and what we have to be prepared for, and this is why I wrote the book Ultimately. Another reason is we have to be able to do continuous transformation, and that takes an enormous amount not just of thought but of courage, of emotional courage, of being able to hold people um, when they're feeling disarray and discord and, and scared and stressed. Obviously, now, but that's really in any change experience, um, and that's where that wisdom comes because the half of transformation is not about. Um, rapidly adapting stuff. It's about stopping, pausing, reflecting, um, and then sensing into what's the next thing to do, then going fast, then slowing down again and going, okay, now where did we get to? So when the pandemic hit us, you know, we, we, the part of me, you know, the part, and I talk in the book about different mindsets. One part of my mind was like, right, adaptation, fast, innovation, virtual... And we started that for about two or three weeks. We reinvented our whole business model. And then I thought, you know what? This doesn't have to happen right now. Nothing's going to happen anyway in the world for the next two or three months, right? So we actually stopped, slowed down, and spent a lot of time relooking at our purpose, individual and company, um, looking at our, where we wanted to go in five, 10 years, not just in a year to save the business, but actually to expand. And and, and is this an opportunity to do something we've wanted to do? For example, We've been working on an app for six years, never completed it because never had the time. And I was like, you know what? If we want to be scale and we want to do, um, be virtual and help leaders all over the world, we, this is the great opportunity to, to take that. So pausing uh, before you pivot and reflecting before you innovate are sometimes the most important things to do. And you can always get back in the action and agile and fast paced, right? Most companies are very well geared for speed. Um, these days, after the last five, 10 years of, of management training, um but sometimes slow is you know as I, I was actually watching a um barbecue uh show on netflix slow and steady you know sometimes is, is what wins the race the slow cook um and i think we've got into you said you know the first hundred days of a, of a new leader we've got into this habit in the world of everything has to happen in the first bit and run and everyone's watching you and go and it's very old-fashioned masculinity to sort of pow 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 um, and I think a bit of more of reflection time, um, we can still be adapting features, but really reflecting on the business models we want to be in um, is really what part of what transformation is about. Uh, and the tendency we have in the times when people are scared is they tend to go back to what used to work. We, you know, and I, I call it in the book, make X great again. Whatever, we you know, wherever we are, I want to be great again like it used to be because I feel like we're diminishing, our business model's getting old. I feel like our brand is not as sexy as it used to be 10 years ago, or my career's, you know, not great as it used to be, but you can't go backwards and you have to go forward. You have to find another future, which, which doesn't exist yet. And at the moment politically, but, but business-wise, we are beset by leaders who don't understand how to transition us to the next evolution of, of the business or society without going back to the past. Um, We can bring some of the past with us, of course. You can't let go of all our greatness, but we have to start do something new. Um, And um, in the book, I go into detail about how to avoid the temptation we all have, which is um, to go back to some kind of illusory perfection of the past um, and instead stay open to what is rushing towards us.
0: And you can't see it, but behind my Shakespeare bust is a book, um, The Tortoise and the Hare. And I, I tell people it's one of the best leadership books that ever was written because it's like literally it's like, you know, the, the go, 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 go. And, and I tell people this. I, I've worked for a ton of organizations, Fortune 500 to small mom and pop organizations and over you know three plus decades. It was only one organization, which was a Fortune 500 organization, that and we did project work um, in asset inventory and things like that at the end of every project we gathered the team that worked together on that project and usually some key people from other projects and we had a a sit down and we said okay let's reflect what worked well on that one what are some learnings that we can carry forward what blew up in our face Mm -hmm. you know what what were some nuances can because it can help us determine okay, should we look after or maybe approach some more people or more organizations that are in this particular industry because it worked out so well? Or do we want to say, somehow set off a red flag that if we want to work in that industry, horns start blowing and we're like, danger, Will Robinson, danger, because it's just not going to be a good fit for us. There's only one organization that did that. And I carried that forward in anything that, I did when I was a leader at organizations going forward, because in a lot, it, it, it was very foreign to people at first. They're so like, it's done, why are we going over it? Like, because there could be something that could make the next one easier. What are the lessons? Because each of us were working, as much as I don't want to say in silos, a lot of people on certain projects, they're working on a specific thing, and they may see things that somebody that was working side by side of them didn't see. And again, it creates all these opportunities. And it, I look at it as it helps start nurturing the opportunity for some of these people to become future leaders. And mm-hmm. the point you mentioned about how leadership today, you know, and you can pick on whatever country you want to pick on, there's several to choose from, where they're clinging on to that the old ways of doing things. And I think one of the things that's causing so much frustration, although it might be subconsciously for voters and I'm not, this isn't a political show, but I think one of the things that I feel and see is there isn't anybody new that's pioneering something new. We're 2020. We're in a, we're in a brand new decade where, we're, you know, we're well on our way into you know the first, you know, third of this century, and we look back at the last twenty years. And yes, there's been innovations and technology and things like that. But as far as government leadership and innovation of doing things differently, haven't seen it. And right. we think back to history. We go back in history and we look at the great innovations that were led by government initiatives and things that were created to allow society to grow. haven't seen that and we're starving for that. So we need to find leaders that do that.
1: We're starving. If I say pretty much every citizen, every employee is starving for the next type of leadership to emerge, because even in the tech companies, it's still what I call in the book, uh, industrial age, leadership it's, and industrial-age business models, right? It's owning everything. Um, it's sucking up the IP on a vertical chain. It's um, extraction economies, et cetera, even in the digital reality, as I think most people have seen in the last few months with some of the ne- documentaries that have come out about, um, you know, the attention algorithms that, that are being run. And what we're looking for, and there are pockets of this emerging, you know, in some countries and some companies, we're looking for a more integrated and more harmonious and ultimately, I would say, transformational style of leadership, where it's still powerful and strong and got that masculine energy of like, we're going to go over here and we're going to do it and we're going to disrupt and we're going to create craziness. But it's done integrated with um, that wisdom of taking people along with us and having some compassion for where people are at. Again, I'm not political either side of the spectrum, compassion for everyone's pain, because we're in a the end of a 20th century world where things work for a while, it's not really working anymore, p- wages have gone down, uh, people's meaning at work has gone down, uh, people's feeling that like they're safe within a, uh, an employment situation has gone down, and yet we haven't created the next bit yet. That's really where I'm, I'm st- I was trying to get with this book, is... Um, the leaders of the future are still emerging and we don't, you know, how do we support them? Because they're probably not that likely to be paid to go on leadership programs by their companies because they're probably too young or not the right sort of box for their for that tick of the talent pool, whatever that pipeline is. But what you said before, which I think is important, is the slowness um, of sitting back and looking what's what's working, what isn't working, not just what to start doing, but what do we have to stop doing? Uh, which is one of the great questions uh, for leaders is what do I have to stop doing personally and as a company? Uh, And in the book, I talk about um, this idea that I've taken from other great thinkers uh, on the learning loop. I call it triple loop learning. So on every project, you can reflect on what didn't work on the project. Great, learn that for next time. Then you can reflect on what about the project gives us some clues that our business model might not be super future fit. Because usually every project tells you there's something not quite right about the core assumptions of the business. Um, And then the third loop is what does this project tell us about our system as a whole? Where is our system not regenerative? Where are we going to extract so much from the earth, put so much carbon in, take so much from people, not give enough back that the system's going to die in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And and that takes time and it takes patience. And a lot of leaders are so optimized for 12-hour management days that they don't have the time or give themselves the time, which is probably much more important to own that, to have permission, to give themselves permission to reflect and connect and connect with their people, listen, as you said, observe, um, and have some time to process it all. Um, And in the book, I talk about trauma, actually, and how trauma affects leaders. And I actually believe that the modern world we live in, the 20th century turbocharged world, is actually traumatizing for our nervous systems. It's too much. All those emails, all those decisions, all those Google sheets, um, it's just like it bombards us. And then we're in the wrong brain mode to be able to reflect and have creative thoughts. Um, And that's just simple brain chemistry. You can't have, there's two different mindsets I talk about in the book. One is analytical, one is creative, and you have to choose which one you want to use in a moment. And that takes time and space and, and slowness.
0: You know, it's, it's a quintessential book that belongs on every leader's <laughs> bookshelf. So, Nick, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you, this book, and all this awesome work you're doing?
1: So, um, super simple. Easiest thing is at switchonnow.com. That's the company I run, Switch On. Uh, if you put f- slash leadership, you'll get to the leadership program we run on Transformation Leadership. And the book is available in all good bookstores. It's called Now Lead the Change, So don't just see the change or be the change. You've got to lead the change. Um, And um, it's available now.
0: Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Nick, thank you so much again for the awesome work you're doing and for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for your time too.
0: Thanks for listening to The The Breakfast Breakfast Leadership Leadership Show, Show. part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.